Welcome to the Elm City Church Podcast. As a community of people who are trying to practice the way of Jesus together, we hope that these messages inspire and equip you for the journey of faith in everyday life. So in, in 1815, 1815, the people of England, they were anxiously awaiting the outcome of uh, a battle that was called the Battle of Waterloo. So it was a battle between the British forces under the command of General Wellington, and they were fighting against Napoleon and the French army. And so this was before you know, information could travel around the world as fast as it could. And so because of that, they came up with an you know, ingenious method of getting the results of this battle as quickly as possible from, the, from, from where it was to the people of England. So they had, you know, on, on one of the tall ships, they had a, a light signal that would go to another ship, that would go to, you know, uh, someplace on the shore, and it was spread Morse code style all throughout England. And that was how the message was going to get, you know, disseminated, because everybody was wondering what is going to happen to this battle, because the outcome of this battle was going to greatly impact uh, the, the people of both uh, French, of French, of it's a new country, you ever heard of French, of France and England. And so uh, people were waiting, they were watching, and at last a signal was seen uh, kind of through the fog. And as the, as the signal was seen, the first word came through and it was this, Wellington. And then they waited and the next word that came through was defeated. And the fog rolled in and that was the end of the message. So that message, Wellington defeated, got sent all throughout England. And it was devastating. England had lost the battle. Wellington was defeated. And this entire sense of anxiety and heaviness just went over the entire country. Well, a few hours later, the fog lifted and the message was sent again. But this time, the entire message came through. And it was, Wellington defeated the enemy. The second half of the message didn't go through. Wellington defeated the enemy. And as that message spread all throughout England, can you imagine kind of the, uh, the emotional whiplash that everybody had? They went from defeat and anguish to celebration. It was not Wellington defeated. It was Wellington defeated the enemy. And a message of bad news quickly turned into a message of great joy. And, and I, I can't help but wonder if that was kind of a similar, you know, the emotional whirlwind that the first followers of Jesus went through between Good Friday and Easter. On Friday, the message that was spreading all throughout Jerusalem and Israel and on was this, Jesus defeated. Jesus defeated. You know, this, the, the crucifixion happened at a, in a very public way. It was during the Jewish Passover, so there would have been sometimes upwards of 100,000 Jews that would have gone on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate um, this holiday. And at this time, word of Jesus had been spreading. And people were wondering over and over, is this Jesus the fulfillment of the one we have been waiting for? Rumor has it that he has healed the sick, that has even raised the dead. His teachings are causing, you know, I've never heard anyone teach like this. Is this the one? So there was this palpable sense of excitement and anticipation on that Passover, wondering what's going to happen. And it was only heightened when Jesus rode in on a donkey, being given a king's welcome. 
when everyone was lying on the sides of the road yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, hail to the king. Everybody was wondering, what is going to happen? And then everything seemed to go wrong. The victorious entrance turned into a public humiliation and a public execution. And for those of his followers who watched his trial, watched his crucifixion, or fled in terror wondering if they, were be, if they would be rounded up next, the crucifixion of Jesus had to be the most demoralizing and crushing event they had ever experienced. On Friday, the word would have spread like wildfire everywhere throughout, throughout Israel. Jesus defeated. But it's Easter, so uh, we know the end of this story. <laughs> Spoiler alert, he rose. <laughs> uh, but because we know sort of the end of the story, what can happen is we can lose some of the drama. We can forget what it would be like. And it, kinda, it, be, it, it can become routine, especially if you come to church year after year. You hear the story, you're like, no, it's going to happen. He rose. But what I want to do this morning is kind of tell you the story through the eyes of somebody who's there. A character in the scriptures is a lady named Mary Magdalene. And she's a key player um, all throughout the, the, the scripture narrative, but also especially in the gospel accounts. Mary is mentioned in all four of the gospel accounts as being there when Jesus was crucified, as being there when uh, he was buried, and also as the first person to see the risen Jesus. So I want to I tell you the story through her eyes so you, so you can see how Jesus kind of upended her life for a second time. So let me begin in Matthew. This is uh, written by one of Jesus' followers, uh, Matthew, who wrote an account after the life of Jesus of everything that, that happened. And this is Matthew 27, 57. This is, this is what he says, um, talking about, I'm going to start at the burial, after, after Jesus had died. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. So then Pilate ordered it be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb, which, had, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and it went away. So Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. You know, as I was preparing for Easter this year and I was rereading some of the stories, there's just something about the details of the burial here that just really got to me. You know, again, these, this isn't, you know, fiction. These are people that have, that, have gone, that, are, that have gone through this. And I can't imagine the profound sorrow that Joseph of Arimathea, the disciple, of Mary, his friend, and a few others must have felt as they took the cold, lifeless body of Jesus. As, as they took their friend and they, and they cleaned him up and they started the burial process. Uh, because it happened so late on Friday, it was a race against time. And the Jewish Sabbath was sundown to sundown. So they had to work really fast to get Jesus prepared because you could not do any work for this 24-hour period of time. So what they did was they did the best they could. Joseph was a rich man and he had a, uh, and he had a tomb that was gonna be for him. And so probably temporarily, they said, we're gonna store Jesus here so that we can come back and finish the burial process on Sunday. Everything about this scene would have screamed, Jesus defeated. It would have been, I couldn't imagine how depressed, how anxious, even these disciples that are wondering, hey, he just got executed as enemy of the state. We're his followers. Are we next? Jesus defeated. 
But I want to I introduce you. I've mentioned Mary Magdalene, and some of you may be familiar with her. Some of you maybe have never heard of her before. But she was a, a follower of Jesus whose life was radically transformed by an encounter with him. And, and all the, most of the Gospels record it, but in Luke 8, 1 through 2, we're just kind of given a little tidbit about who she was. Um, Mary had her life dramatically changed by an encounter with Jesus. Uh, and, and here is one of, the, one of the places that talks about it. So this is in Luke 8, just kind of almost like a side comment. It said, Jesus was traveling from one village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. So the 12 are the 12 apostles. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. So there was Mary uh, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanne, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So in addition to the 12 apostles that probably most of you are reasonably familiar with, there was an entire other group that was also following Jesus around of, of men, but also Jesus had a prominent following of female disciples. And I was last night, I was talking with my daughter, Nora, and I was like, Nora, did you know that Jesus had female disciples too? She's like, wait, what? How come you never told me this? I was like, no one's ever told me this. I was like, well, I have, but you just didn't listen. Uh, but also, I was like, what's so great about these female disciples is they show up in all of the resurrection accounts because they were the only ones, for the most part, that were brave around us brave enough to stick around for the whole thing. All the men just kind of fled, got scared, but all these firsthand accounts of the burial and the resurrection are all through the eyes of of, of the women um, because they were the ones that were there and Mary Magdalene was one of them. And uh, so it says in this here that she was healed from being oppressed by seven demons. It doesn't give us any more details, but whenever demonic oppression and stuff is talked about in scripture, it often manifests itself with you know, fits of rage and anger and uh, often would look a lot like what like severe mental illness uh, w- would look like. Again, we're not given any of those details other than when it said she had seven, it was a number that also depicted just like a whole plethora of like, her life was a mess. And thinking in ancient Near Eastern society, there was not a lot of safety nets for people like that. There was not like the, all the services we have in our community. Someone like that would have been really down and out. And it says Jesus healed her. Jesus saw something in her that no one else did, offered her dignity, restored her, and then invited her to come and follow him and be one of his disciples. So Mary is a key figure that followed Jesus around who he had honored and restored her dignity. So can you imagine the confusion and the sorrow and the pain that Mary was feeling that morning as she buried her friend, as she buried Jesus, the one who had restored her and healed her. So after, after sunset on Saturday, after they did their best and waited 24 hours and the Sabbath was over, what they probably did was go and collect burial spices and round up whatever they could so they could go to the tomb first thing Sunday morning and complete the process. So early Sunday morning, Mary and someone who's just called the other Mary went to see the tomb. And this is what Matthew records they encountered. Matthew 28, it says this. Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he is not here. 
He has risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And I, and I just love that line where the angel says, do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus. Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus. And on the first Easter morning, Mary was on a search for Jesus. And uh, my question for you on this Easter morning is this. What are you searching for? What are you searching for? You know, all of us, in a sense, are on a search. We're on a search for meaning. We're on a search for purpose. We're on a search for answers. We're on a search for peace, for significance, for love, for acceptance, and for direction. All of us are on a search. Do you know what, you know that feeling? What's that feeling called when you are someplace and you're not quite sure where you are and you needed to go somewhere, but you're not quite sure how to get there? When you're in that state, you are what? Lost. Yeah, we have all experienced almost this disorienting feeling of being lost, of almost knowing there's somewhere we need to go and not quite knowing how to get there. And that is one of the main metaphors that the scripture talks about for people that have not yet met Jesus. It's this feeling of being lost, of being on a search for something and maybe you're going all these different ways to try to get it, but ultimately the search that you're going on is designed to end up at Jesus. We all at times, at one point or another, have this sense of lostness. And you can go huge periods of your life and not even know you're lost. But every once in a while, you come to a place where you're confronted with this thing called lostness. And the Bible teaches that the reason why we have the sense of lostness is because of something called sin. So sin is something that we have done, you know, willingly, breaking, willingly or unknowingly breaking God's laws. It's also something that has been done to us. We have both experienced both sides of it. And that's the Bible's answer to why is the world such a mess? If you're wondering that, like, why is the world such a mess? You know, with all of our you know, education, all of our technology, all of our distractions, the world's still, like, in their good pockets, it's not all bad, but like, in general, the world's a mess at times. And then deep down, sometimes you wonder, like, why am I kind of a mess? You know, Paul says, Paul says that's something called sin. It's something that happens to you, and that is what Jesus has come to fix. Romans 6.23 tells us this truth. He says, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. So it's not as if sin is something that only like, the worst people do. The Bible says this is something that is common to the entire human condition. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and our best efforts are not enough. And on our own, our search for God is not going to be enough which is why I love the story of the scriptures. In John 3, 16, we're told this amazing truth. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Because God knew that we could not stumble our way towards him out of our lostness and find him, Jesus was sent to us. Often you hear people will tell a story like, you know, one day I found Jesus. And you're like, no, you didn't. He wasn't lost. <laughs> Jesus found you. And that's why it's good news that we're celebrating here on Easter. Jesus was sent on a rescue mission to reconcile lost people back to God. Um, but let's go back to Mary. She knew Jesus. 
She had embraced Jesus. She loved Jesus. But we see through this story that it was still more for her to experience because the Jesus she was seeking that morning didn't exist. And here's what I mean by that. Listen again to what the angel said. He said, do not be afraid because I know you seek the Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. The Jesus that you came here this morning seeking actually doesn't exist. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. And that morning, what Mary found out, that there was far more to Jesus than even she knew. She knew him as rabbi, as teacher, as friend, as good example. But you know what happened to her that morning? Her experience and understanding of Jesus was given a major upgrade. She went that morning looking for the crucified Jesus, and instead she encountered the risen Lord. And that is what makes all the difference in the world. And Mary got to be the first messenger of this news. Instead of the message being, Jesus defeated, what Mary got to be the first one to proclaim is, Jesus defeated sin and death and has risen. How much different is that? It went from Jesus defeated to Jesus defeated death and sin and has risen. And what Mary did not realize in that moment, what we proclaim here this morning, is that the crucifixion was not an accident. It wasn't a side turn in Jesus' plan. It wasn't just Jesus dying as this heroic example of self-giving love. No, Jesus' mission was always to go to the cross. And here is why. He came as our Savior. One of the first things that John the Baptist said when they saw him is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the reason why Jesus had to die on a cross is that this whole idea of, of sin puts us in debt to God and, and that debt has a, has, a, has a punishment. So Jesus came and willingly paid our punishment on the cross. And in exchange, he offers us eternal life. He did for us what we could not do. So, what Mary experienced that morning is something we all need to experience. So another question is, as you sit here this morning, does your kind of view of Jesus and your understanding of him need an upgrade? Do you, like Mary, need an upgrade in your understanding of who Jesus is? Maybe you are comfortable with him being a good example. Maybe you're comfortable with him just someone you learn about or look up to or good, some, did some good stuff. But Easter almost doesn't let us have that option. You know, if we take Jesus at his word, he was either a liar because he claimed to be God, clearly. He was either crazy because you don't walk around claiming to be God unless you actually are. Like that's something crazy people do. Or he was who he says he was. So he kind of leaves us with those three options because you read his teachings you know, they're not, they don't like, they don't ring like someone who's a liar. They don't, they don't, you know, it was too self, it was too self-sacrificial. It was too others serving. That's not what liars and charlatans do. He wasn't crazy. So I think the gospels are leading us to this thing of like, as, as potentially, you know, unbelievable as it sounds, maybe he actually was who he says he was. And we have all of these independent accounts written down of people that watched everything happen and said, he is. Like, I saw the risen Jesus. He has defeated 
death and is, ro- and is risen again. And all of Jesus's early 12 disciples, they all, except for one of them, willingly died proclaiming that. This is something that always gets me of like why it rings to be true. People die for lies, I think, all the time. People do not die for things they know are wrong. There's a huge difference. You are not going to get 12 people to all willingly go to their deaths proclaiming Jesus rose from the dead and I saw him when all they would have had to do is say, I'm just kidding, I made it up. They all were willing to die for this truth. Jesus has defeated death and has risen. And so he just doesn't give us this out to just respect him or just look up to him. He says, my offering is, I have come to be your savior. I have come to be your redeemer. I have come to be the one that's going to fix this sense of lostness in you. You know, as I was, I was, I was praying this morning, um, just thinking because, you know, I was like, you know, Easter is one of those days you kind of like want to nail your sermon. <laughs> There's certain days like, yeah, if I have an off day, whatever, it's, you know, February. But Easter, you're like, this is the one I want to be really good. And I usually spend a lot of time like re-going back over it in the morning. And uh, this morning I didn't because I was just praying. Like, you know, as I look back at all the, you know, the different accounts in, in, in the four gospels, there's several times where people are kind of confused. They don't quite know what's going on. And they encounter Jesus. And there's a line that goes something like, and then God just kind of opened their eyes and they understood. Or God just kind of revealed and it made sense. And there was just something that happened to them that God gave them. that They were able to just understand. Uh, and it shows up almost in every one of the stories. And that was my prayer this morning. I'm like, Lord, I know my words aren't good enough. I can't say it just right. It, it, you know. It can't. But my prayer is this morning, there'll be something about your words in this message that just you make click for somebody. That you open their eyes and for the first time, it's like, this is true. Oh my gosh, this is true. That's what I was really praying for because I, it's, this isn't a sales pitch. Like you can't say it slick enough. And, the, and, it's, and it's not just come and accept me as savior, but he also says, okay, then follow me and take your cross and follow me. And guess what? It's gonna be really hard. You're gonna experience difficulty doing it. Like it would be the worst sales pitch ever. Huh. But my hope and prayer is when there's just some of you that maybe something about this clicked. You realize hey, this is true. Um, and, when, and when Jesus would often, he would make a call and say, hey, repent and believe the good news. You know, repent is turn from the direction you're going and come and follow me and believe this good news. And one of the ways that you can, that you can do that, often followers of Jesus have done it for a while, is through just a prayer of repentance. So I'm gonna give you, there's no pressure here at all, but I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I'm gonna kind of put a prayer up. Nothing magical about the words. It's not a formula. But it, what it does, is it kind of helps maybe put words to and guide through what it would look like to respond to Jesus, to respond to this good news. So if you, uh, you want to you bow your heads, or actually it's going to be up on the screen so you can, you can look at it as well. But I'm going to pray, and if you want to quietly pray after me, again, I, I, invite, I would invite you to do that. And it's, and it's just something as simple as this. Jesus, I know I've sinned. I know I've disobeyed you in many ways, both by what I've done and by what I've failed to do. But I believe that when you died on the cross, you were paying the penalty for my sins so I could be forgiven. So at this moment, I'm turning to you. I'm giving up all my attempts to be good enough on my own, 
I fully place my trust in you. Please forgive me. Please save me. Make me a new person. I want to follow you. Amen. Like I said, this, this, this is not a magic words. It's not, it's not a formula. But it's one way of expressing faith through, through, through repentance. And if you, if you prayed that this morning, I would love to follow up with you. I would love to have a conversation with you. I would love to explain what, what are some next steps. Um, you can either just come and tell me. But if that's kind of too much for you, we have the connect cards. Just put your name on it and a way to get a hold of you and just say, hey, I, I prayed to receive Jesus this morning. You can even you know, put it in the offering box in the back and I'll, and I'll, and I'll connect with you this week. Um, on all the connect cards, there's a little like two-page pamphlet that says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I also, these are just a way if you wanna just kind of take it and you're just process on your own. It's also our gift to you. So you go ahead and, and take one of those. All right. So let's end this, end, end this, end this message on, on, a, on an even higher note. So because our story with Mary isn't done. After Mary sees the risen Lord, after Mary sees the tomb is empty, she, she kind of runs to tell the disciples what's going on. And uh, she hears this amazing word in a familiar voice. And this is what she hears. Greetings. Greetings. Jesus met her and said, Greetings. And I, think, I thought about like how understated this moment is. It's just, just one word, greetings. There's no like, ta-da, I'm back. Uh, I would have I been way more immature about that moment. But it's just greetings. And after Mary encountered Jesus, this is the first thing she did. It says, and they came, they took a hold of his feet and bowed and worshiped him. You know, when you truly encounter the God of the universe, your savior and redeemer, the only natural thing to do is worship. Like that's how you know, have I encountered the real Jesus? Does it lead you to worship? You know, because worship can change you. You know, worship can move you just from a spectator to a participant. Worship can move you from just believing in Jesus as a concept to a living reality. Worship can even move you from a jaded critic of the church run by people with all of its flaws, to a worshiper, to encountering the risen Lord. That is what worship can do. And those who worship Jesus truly do what Mary did. She worshiped, then she went and told everybody. He is risen. Jesus defeated sin and death and has risen, and that's a cause for celebration. We hope this message has been impactful. For more information about how you can connect with Elm City Church, visit elmcitychurch.com or follow us on social media. We'd love to help you take some next steps.